0: Thanks, Darren. Um, delighted to be here. I amazed so many people showed up. Maybe I should retire more often. <laughs> um, so wh- what I have for you is something based on a lecture I gave uh, in Australia in November. So uh, this began as, as something fairly informal and middle-brown. It's still there, but I'm trying to move it in a, in a, in a more academic direction. Um, it's not going to test your grey matter very much. Uh, there's a lot of history. There's some interesting facts here, uh, maybe some things uh, to discuss as well. Um, like Obviously, um, if you go back two or three decades ago, Ireland was very homogeneous. And I have the number here. Only 40,000 uh, inhabitants had been born outside the UK as recently as 1991. Um, Whereas today, you have something like close, I suppose, to 800,000 or, uh, no, that's not quite right. There are 800,000 people living in Ireland who weren't born in Ireland, and three-fifths of those, or about 10% of the total, are born outside Ireland or the UK. Um, And so that, that's something that's happened very recently. It's also, I think, important to bear in mind that Irish immigration has been huge by European standards. So these are rates, and uh, Ireland is, is the summit there. And uh, uh, what goes up uh, comes down as well. But uh, you know, at, at the peak, uh, Irish uh, immigration rates were, were very, very high. Um, and then you get uh, net uh, migration. Uh, in the recent past, um, and uh, you get Irish people leaving and uh, non-nationals leaving, and the patterns are a bit different, and you see that here as well. So uh, uh, this one here is Irish, emigration, immigration, and uh, you get more and more of the non-nationals leaving very, very quickly after the downturn, so it takes a while for that to... uh, into Ireland, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, what I don't want to uh, dwell on this for the time being. I want to begin by talking about a much smaller immigration uh, that you know, happened about um, a century ago. And um, some of this immigration was a spark for a, a famous passage in James Joyce's Ulysses, uh, which uh, some of you would be familiar with. Uh, but for those who are not, uh, it's from the Nestor episode, and it goes like this. It's very, very brief. Uh, Mr. D.C. halted, breathing hard and swallowing his breath. I just wanted to say, he said, Ireland, they say, has the honor of being the only country which never persecuted the Jews. Do you know that? And he's talking to Stephen. No. And you know why? He frowned sternly on the bright air. Why, sir, Stephen asked, beginning to smile, because she never let them in, uh, Mr. D.C. said solemnly. Uh, now, of course, this is not quite true. Uh, one can nitpick. It's not true that Ireland did not uh, let them in because you had free uh, immigration into the UK at that stage. And it's not until a year after 1904 that Britain begins for the first time to restrict uh immigration through the Aliens Act of 1905, which is directed chiefly against, as it happens, East European Jews. Um, and I guess another uh, reason uh, why one might quibble with uh, DC's claim is that for all you know, the, the hostility uh, towards immigrants, including Jews, I don't think one would go as far as to say that they were persecuted here. But a more interesting question is, why did the Jews come here in the first place? If, you, if you're schooled in the economics of migration, you, you're, you're asking, why did people come here when there were so many people leaving? Um, why didn't they go elsewhere instead? And the answer, of course, is that for the most part, they did. Uh, very few came here. Uh, uh, and, and those who did come uh, you know, fitted particular niches. Um, that's, that's the answer. Um, we don't have data on inflows of uh, Jews into Ireland. Uh, We have information on stocks in uh, each census uh, of both Russian-born and people professing uh, the Jewish uh, religion. And uh, in 1911, for example, uh, Russian-born Jews, uh, there were about 2,000 of them. And there were about uh, over 5,000 Jews So a lot of these Russian-born Jews already had kids uh, by that time. Now, thanks to Leopold Bloom, this particular migration is pretty well known. Uh, uh, But less is known about a much smaller but more or less contemporaneous uh, uh, immigration from Italy. And I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, The Jewish immigration was tiny, and the Italian one was tinier still. Uh, on the eve of uh, World War One, you're talking about roughly 400 uh, people born in Italy of Italian stock. Um, now, thanks to the relatively new technique of web scraping, which I don't know anything about, but uh, my best PhD student, Alan Ferniehow, uh, does, uh, one can arrive at the Italian populations in 1901 and 1911, without too much bother. So I spent five minutes on uh, what you find when you, when you analyze those. Now, this is very different from when I um, looked at the uh, Jewish population. Uh, I d- wrote a book about the Jewish population uh, that came out in 2006. And, uh, you know, it, looking for all the Jews in Dublin is a bit like looking for a needle in a haystack. So what I did was simply focus on this area. My book is about the Jews who lived in, in, in where the concentration was in what used to be known as little Jerusalem. So I didn't capture you know, these, these others. And they may be a bit different. <coughs> uh, that, that, that is something that would be worth uh, looking at. They may be less religious. Um, a few of them may have married out. You, know, you can think of, of uh, issues like that that would be of some interest. Uh, but with the Italians, you get them all. So, so that that's a difference. And you also do it much more quickly. It's not, I don't know how many days or, or weeks to put together this the database, going into the National Archives and taking stuff down manually. Um, now, the two migrations have certain things in common. Uh, both Jews and Italians were subject to some resentment and abuse, but not enough to prevent them from making a living and staying on. Um, Another thing they have in common is that in both communities, there is a a kind of a memory that the immigrations were accidental, that these people landed here. They hadn't intended to come to Ireland, but they ended up there. Uh, The story goes that Giuseppe, or Joseph Chervi, uh, who is supposed to have introduced fish and chips to Dublin, I think not just supposed to, I think maybe did, according to one source, disembarked from an American ship in Cove in the late 1880s, convinced he was in New York. Uh, but from there, he made his way to Dublin on foot, uh, and having worked for some time for an Italian stonemason called Bassi, he bought a cart from which he would sell chips. Uh, another account reports that Chervy began selling chips from a stall in the street on a spot where Pier Street Fire Station uh, now is. Um, and and that's, where the, that's where the shop was into the 1960s. I don't remember it. I not if there's anybody else. Uh, there we are. Uh, now, similar themes crop up in Jewish accounts. Uh, Gerald Goldberg, son of an immigrant uh, Lithuanian Jew, described the arrival of the Jews in Cork as an accident. Reaching the port of Queenstown, they were duped by the colloquial claim that America is the next parish. Another more colourful version of this tale recounts (coughs) that calls of Cork, Cork were mistaken for New York, prompting the, and I quote, befuddled, bedraggled, wandering Jews to disembark in Queenstown. But specialists on migration dismiss such tales, which crop up all over the place uh, as, uh, uh, you know, these stories about accidental destinations, they're, they're not credible. Uh, so there's no need to wonder why Giuseppe Chervy believed Queenstown uh, was New York. Now, there's another uh, kind of small story about this connection uh, between the Italians and, and, and the, the Russians or the Jews. If there's any truth to the notion that uh, Chervy learnt about fish and chips from uh, a Russian <coughs> uh, who was uh, doing something similar uh, on Pierce Street or Tara Street, It is said that some of the early Jewish immigrants in Dublin took to selling holy pictures after seeing Italians producing them. Uh, And one story, which I owe to a a guy in the community, mentions a Jewish family discovering a shed full of pictures and statues in the backyard of a newly occupied house on the South Circular Road and starting off in trade um, in that way. Uh, And then there are other cameos that reveal. Curious parallels. So, in May 1908, a Roscommon man got a month's hard labour for assaulting an Italian decorator named Brintani with a Thatcher's knife. His excuse was that Brintani refused to drink with him. Uh, this recalls an incident in Cork two decades later, when a Trades Council delegate complained uh, in the course of an anti-Semitic trade that local Jews, and I quote, would not eat or shake hands with a Christian. So there was a kind of anotherness there. there. It wasn't, I think, restricted to Jews. And it probably worked both ways. You know. um, the other uh, point about, I suppose, uh, in, in, in similarity, both communities are associated, both immigrations are associated with a particular place in the ascending country. Uh, in the uh, Italian case here, it's uh, Castellatico, which is not that far from Rome. Uh, in fact, there's quite a, a good book about uh, Italian immigration uh, into Ireland called Castellatico. And, and then this here is Akmane. Uh, this is an old photograph, and this is the Jewish uh, graveyard in Akmane, which is in north uh, western Lithuania. and. Uh, it turns out that the, the, the great majority of the Jewish community here, say around 1914, things change later, were from within 20 or 30 miles radius of Akmane. So there was very, very, this is very much a kind of a chain migration. Somebody arrives and, and then sends money home or spreads the news, and others follow. And uh, um, the Italian, the Italian, uh, Migration then is, like I say, uh, associated very much with uh, Lazio uh, and in particular Castellatico, which is absolutely tiny. It's about 700 people. Um, (coughs) So Now, this link with Castellatico would seem to find further corroboration in the remarkably high proportion of Italians. Nearly four in every five in Ireland in the mid-1980s, who had been born in the region of Lazio. Um, But it turns out that if you go back to 1911 and 1901, the community is less homogeneous. And there are two two, uh, groups. One, it is true, is from here. And the other is mainly from uh, Tuscany. And they specialize in different occupations, and they tend to live in different parts of Ireland. The Castle Atticans at that stage lived overwhelmingly in Belfast. And the others were more spread around. Um, The uh, Castle Atticans were associated uh, very much with confectionery, ice cream, fish and chips. Some of the others would be associated with sculpting, holy pictures, and that kind of thing. And and this emerges uh, quite uh, clearly from uh, looking at at the the census. Another p- paradox, I guess, about the Jewish emigration is that when you consider Ireland 100 years ago, Belfast was a bigger city than Dublin. Uh, it was a dynamic place, whereas Dublin was poor down at heel. And so the issue is, why was the Jewish community concentrated on Dublin? Why didn't they go where the money was, like the Italians did? And uh, again, the answer here has to do with the niche, the Jewish immigrants filled, Uh, they specialized in activities that targeted mainly the less well-off. And they were plentiful in Dublin. Uh, So both Italian and Jewish immigrants catered to non-overlapping niches. And I think this is important. I think uh, had they competed, there would have been more hostility. But they tend to move into areas where they weren't threatening too much the local populations. They were providing services which were novel, or which benefited the poor rather than threatened them. So, you know, there were other money lenders before the, the Jews arrived, but the Jews, you know, they didn't—they weren't all money lenders, But a lot of them lent money or, or sold goods on credit. But you know, they provided a better deal than the pre-existing people. So, in that sense, uh, from the point of view of the poor, it was probably uh, a boon. Uh, the Weekly Irish Times noted of uh, what referred to as the Jewish foreigner, with his inherent alertness, he soon discovered that the very poverty of the people offered him promises of mutual benefit. He at once set himself out to supply the poor Irishman and woman with such necessities and luxuries uh, which uh, they could never procure unless he, the Jew, formed uh, the intermediary. So the Jews concentrated um, at the outset on peddling selling goods on credit through the so-called weekly system and on money lending, whereas the Italians specialized successively in organ grinding, ice cream and confectionery, and uh, fish and chips. Uh, It's also true that at the very beginning, and uh, for some time, the communities had a street in common. Um, This this is Charity here. and I missed him first when you when you search for him uh, through the National Archives uh, site. Uh, I missed him because his name is misspelled in, in 1911. In, in 1901, it's correct. But uh, I guess what you have here is is uh, you know he's illiterate, and probably the policeman wrote down it's a Chervie. It's and, the uh and he's got all these all these. Uh, lodgers. But anyway, uh, they had this this street in common, uh, Chancery Lane, uh, which is very different now um, um, from what it was uh, before uh, the Great War. So the Jews, uh, I read in one place, lived in a little square wherein stood the police station, joined Joining the other foreigners, Italian organ grinders, bear, bear leaders, one-man band operators, and makers of small cheap plastic caster plaster casts of the saints of the Catholic Church. Uh, by the 1870s, Chancery Lane, which originally had been a fairly elegant place, uh, was already in a state of dilapidation and home to, according to a contemporary Uh, observer, a miscellaneous population whose avocations it would be difficult to describe. But the the Jewish immigrants moved out very quickly. Uh, They moved south uh, into um, around Clan Brazel Street and the small streets off Clan Brazel Street, uh, renting accommodation there, Uh, whereas uh, more of the Italian stayed. And a big part of uh, the New New Year's Eve celebrations in Dublin, until about World War I was the Italian organ grinders. crowds <coughs> would come to hear the bells at Christchurch and the organ grinders would get out and start playing and uh, so th- every New Year's Day you go through the news of the Irish Times or whatever and it describes the Italians but, uh, but they too uh, move out uh, eventually. Now uh, the other point I would make uh, before I move on is that... These migrations are overwhelmingly economic in origin. Uh, There is a tradition or a social memory, particularly in the Jewish community, to link the immigration to forced conscription, persecution, and so on. And there is no doubt but that that did happen. But when you go and look at individual cases in some detail, what you find, and I don't have time to go through, through the evidence here, there's a lot of it in my book, uh, they, co- they go because they see opportunities and they do well and others follow them. Um, and and that, is, that is mainly what's going on. This is not true of Jewish emigration out of other parts of uh, the Tsarist empire. Uh, but Lithuania is not an area that was noted for pogroms. you know. Uh, and it's, it's difficult to see What became worse in Lithuania when people moved out? So I think the migration is mainly because of kind of globalizing forces. These people had been peddlers, uh, small-time manufacturers in Lithuania. Uh, They're finding life rather difficult, so they move out. Uh, And I know you have to state this very, very sensitively because people say, oh, you're kind of downplaying uh, persecution and so on. I'm not denying that, but I'm saying that the migration is uh, really driven uh, by economics, and uh, there is a recent paper that backs this up. Uh, it's in the Feshbri for Jeff Williamson by Leah Bustan in, in UCLA, and, and uh, she did a, an econometric analysis of uh, flows, Jewish and non-Jewish uh, flows uh, into the U.S. And uh, you know she basically argues argues the same thing. But anyway, t- t- to get back to uh, Mr. Uh, DC. Uh, I think what happened 100 years ago is not really a test of Mr. D.C.'s claims. You have to uh, fast forward to the recent past. And I, I think you know, that's, that's the acid test, how people react to uh, immigration nowadays. Um, now, Ireland is, is interesting here. Because on the one hand, you do not get here so far the brand of xenophobic politics you do throughout much of the EU, and you know we can talk about reasons for that, but uh, there is no electoral gain to be had in uh, ranting about immigration. A few people have tried that, and uh, basically they sunk, they sunk without a trace. Um, this may change, uh, but it's it's kind of surprising. Even Sinn Féin. Uh, hasn't taken up this, this anti uh, immigrant uh, rhetoric. Now, on the other hand, there have been cases of uh, ill treatment, uh, much, much worse than anything that was uh, meted out to the Jews or the Italians uh, uh, a century ago. And like we know, some of these are highlighted. A few years ago, there was this case of the Roma and Belfast who were hounded out of a, a place in which they, they were staying. Uh, but I mean, there, there are more sinister uh, incidents. Uh, so um, I didn't pay much attention to it at the time. But you know, you go back and you read about, in January 2002, English language student and Chinese national, Zhao Liu Tao, was murdered in Beaumont on his way home from a night out. The BBC described this as, and I quote, Ireland's first racially uh, motivated murder. And since then, there have been several others. There there, there was the case of these two Polish uh, migrant uh, workers in their late 20s who were murdered in Drimna. Um, There were a few Nigerians. Again, in March uh, 2012, three men were jailed for killing a Polish national in Kulak. Uh, One of the culprits said he did it for a buzz. Um, And uh, in November 2011, a Nigerian taxi driver was brutally attacked. Uh, and died of his injuries a few uh, days later. Now, some of these murders, at least, maybe not all, but some of them were racially uh, motivated. And if Mr. DC were doing the rounds, he'd probably have said, "I told you so." Uh, and you know, there are also cases uh, in uh, Northern Ireland. <coughs> so, in 1996, uh, the owner of a Chinese takeaway was robbed and murdered in an attack deemed uh, racist by the police. That was in Carrickfergus. And uh, in Newry in July 2009, uh, a Polish 40-year-old was the victim of a racially uh, motivated uh, murder. It's also true that successive opinion polls point to significant uh, anti-immigrant feeling. Um, So a September 2008 poll found that two-thirds of respondents wanted more restrictive immigration laws, whereas only only 7% favored less uh, restrictive uh, laws. Um, and there have been other polls since which uh, confirm that kind of uh, hostile or unenthusiastic attitude. Now, uh, I looked at some other, some other data uh, for insight into attitudes. Um, this is from the Irish National um, Election Study a panel survey carried out by the SRI between 2002 and 2007. So the idea behind this was to look at electoral behavior. But there are questions there that have some bearing uh, on what we are interested in. So these are simply correlation coefficients. And people are asked uh, about how enthusiastic they are about halting sites, uh, about... Rights for asylum seekers, and about controls on immigration. And what you find, you know, these are these are fairly big databases. So these are the the coefficients I'm interested in. And what what comes across there? Yeah. Uh, Should travellers be allowed to set up halting sites wherever they want, or that kind of that kind of question? Uh, so what you find is, people who are hostile to travellers are also hostile to immigrants. You know, so now, and you have to ask, what is that telling you? Well, the travellers are not competing for people's jobs. It might be said of the immigrants that they are. Uh, so there is something else going on there. There is, I think there there is an element of uh, a kind of a a dislike for otherness or people who are different, as well as any kind of economic uh, factor. And uh, we'll come to the economic factors again a bit later. Now, what this suggests also is that more educated people are are more broad-minded. But, of course, that may be because they don't live near immigrants or they don't live near uh, travellers, and uh, this uh, survey doesn't allow you to Check out whether that's the case or not. But, but I found, you know, I think this this point about people being hostile to things that are different uh, is, is one, of, one of the things that comes out of this. Now, there have been some uh, EU studies on immigration, and again, I, I want to go through these a little bit because. They show kind of Irish attitudes as being kind of ambivalent. On the one hand, you know, opinion polls say there are too many. Um, but when I, when asked, this is Eurobarometer, when asked, you know, immigration enriches our country economically and culturally. Uh, the Irish are much more enthusiastic uh, about immigration than most uh, people in the EU. <coughs> So, you know, more than half here agree with this statement. Um, <coughs> and, of course, the paradox here is that the countries that are most negative are ones which have no immigrants, or very, very few. But, uh, uh, now, this is another one. And so that, that, that one I just showed you is a snapshot. But uh, Eurobarometer also asks people in all member states... Since 2003, what do you think are the two most important issues facing your country at the moment? And uh, give, given this menu, so they're supposed to pick two of those. And I just focus here on three: the economy, unemployment, and immigration. And look at the proportions that list those in different countries. And this is Ireland, and. Uh, makes perfect sense that unemployment and the economy would uh, really uh, take off here from uh, 2007. But if anything, immigration uh, seems less of a preoccupation. And you compare that with other countries. uh, So I don't know if if you can make this out Italy, Sweden, the Netherlands. (coughs) Um, now, for the most part, uh, immigration uh, isn't as important as the first two, but uh, you see there's, there's a spike here in the Netherlands, and uh, then uh, in the UK, immigration is a big issue. Immigration uh, bulks large with, with people, they don't like it, they really don't like it. Uh, there's a, a, a spike here which somebody might be able to explain in Spain. Um, and again, uh, in Belgium, there is much more hostility uh, to uh, migration. You uh, know, in this in this sense, anyway. And finally, you have two more there: um, uh, Germany and uh, Denmark. So the Danes, <coughs> the Danes also are pretty head up about about migration compared to us. Now you can you can tell the story in a slightly different way. Uh, So this is simply looking at uh, the the proportions who mention migration. And Ireland is in green all the time. So it's comparing all the other countries to Ireland, just focusing on migration. And um, like Ireland is, so OK. These are are countries where, uh, on the whole, migration does not uh worry people that much. Um there you have Denmark again. Uh, Sorry, uh, these, these are people who are saying they're choosing migration as Yes, as two one of their one two of their two two. Two. Exactly. So if you've got something else competing for a worry. It's not, it's not in it's just it's just looking at the proportion who we'll say migration is what you know yeah. what's bothering them. And uh, like the point here is that in Ireland it's pretty much the lowest of the lot, ex- ex- except portable, I think portable yeah, is here. So y- you have, it seems to me, a kind of a, uh, a paradox. On the one hand, people say that we don't, we, there are too many, but on the other, it's not something that they are obsessive about or that they would, you know, there are other things that are worrying more. Now. Uh, this is another <coughs> uh, take on the same issue. And actually, I was alerted to this by Kevin Denny, whom I'm delighted to see here. This is something that I'm hoping at some stage to we'll do a little bit more work on with Kevin. Um, this is looking at the European Social Survey. And uh, one of the advantages here, is that you can uh, look at uh, changes in people's attitudes over time. So these are roughly every two years, so starting in 2002. So it's roughly 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. And uh, so there are three questions here I'm focusing on that have to do with migration. Immigrants, these are statements, good or bad for a country's economy, 0 to 10. Uh, and few or many migrants uh, from outside Europe, then, uh, and uh, countries, cultural migration. So what you find here, if you look at, uh, this first one. Uh, there's increasing enthusiasm and then from 2006 uh, there's there's less enthusiasm. And I separated that Irish-born uh, and other and uh, you really have to do that. Um, didn't um, and uh, you know, in all So then these are a few um, variables uh, I look at in this context. Uh, and this one here is a little bit like the traveler's variable. This is full, f- full civil rights for gays and lesbians. Um, education, age, gender, uh, how people feel about their household income, and the state of the economy. And I've done this in an an extremely crude, preliminary way, Uh, but what you find is this. So I'm using as a dependent variable uh, immigration being good or bad for the economy or uh, whether there should be controls on migration or not. And uh, everything here is statistically significant, except for one or two. So you want to clutter uh, the table with... Uh, standard errors or asterisks. Uh, but again, this thing here, I mean, it's probably not strictly kosher to put this in here as, 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 a, as an explanatory variable. But I think it does contain information in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an informal way. So what you find is people who are liberal about gays and lesbians don't mind immigration, control them for everything else. You know. uh, and so it's positive here. Variables are defined. Again, uh, the more education you have, the less hostile you are. This here doesn't count for much, neither does this, although women are, women are more anti immigrant than men. Uh, these two here count. Um, now, the other point I want to make about this, and I haven't tested this formally, but I I think it is something that uh, cries out for testing. We know from looking at what's happened to these over time that there is less enthusiasm for migration. But you then have to ask, is that because people are becoming more racist, or is it that they remain the same if you control for everything else, but just that they're more likely to be unemployed? You know, so. Uh, and it turns out, the way I, I would try to uh, get a handle on that is look at these coefficients. And as far as I can see, they don't change very much over time. You know, so it's not that people are inherently becoming more racist. What this is telling you is that as the economy picks up again, these scores here will improve again. You know. um, so the attitudes that are revealed are very much a function of the state of the economy. Uh, rather than people becoming progressively more <coughs> uh, narrow-minded uh, and therefore never going to change again. That, anyway that's a, I, I haven't uh, pinned this down yet, but this is something that I maybe maybe Kevin and myself would, would And it would also be interesting to do this uh, not just with Irish data but with, say with Italian data and Spanish data as well and just see what happens to these coefficients over time once you control for uh, the state. Yeah. It looks similar to the, what you had on immigration. So it's much more homophobia in Eastern Europe, particularly Southern. Yeah. Um, much less in Scandinavian countries. Right. And the Netherlands. And Ireland is kind of in between. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that <coughs> relates to attitudes on migration in different countries. Now, uh, I know I don't have that much more time, but... Uh, One of the the obvious points about the immigration 100 years ago is that there was no welfare state in Ireland. So there was was no danger of the immigrants being seen as uh, welfare tourists, as kind of spongers, what have you. And that is a huge preoccupation today. Um, uh, And of course, you get Milton Friedman uh, making this uh, statement. Uh, And of course, Friedman is is very reassured by this, because he, he, he can kind of see. Immigration is killing the welfare state. You know, it doesn't like the welfare state. And, and, um, and then others, of course, take the opposite uh, tack. You have people like uh, Moeri um, uh, and Pritchett, who are you know, kind of social democrats. They like the welfare state. And they say, how are we going to square this circle? reconcile can side, uh, kind of a, an open or a, a welcoming <coughs> policy towards immigrants and the other and maintaining the welfare state. They come up with these blue card systems that, you know, immigrants don't get entitlements unless they've been in the country for a certain while, unless they're working, they built up insurance credits and so on. Um, But it's also true that exaggerated fear of immigrants as welfare tourists is the most important cause of hostility uh, against them. There are lots lots of opinion polls that that, uh, show this. and in the Irish context, I want to talk about this just very briefly uh, in the context <coughs> of the citizenship referendum um, <coughs> and events that uh, preceded that. And um, happily, I think, I was out of the country when, when, when this referendum was held. Uh, but um, I have relived it by going through the press. And, 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 um, and um, I, I was here when some of the uh, kind of the discussion uh, that led up to it uh, was taking place. And uh, I don't know, most of you will know, but there will be some that will not know that one of the uh, uh, things that set this off was the belief that uh, a particular group of immigrants were abusing uh, the welfare system here. Uh, and it was it was really narrowed down to um, women who were looking for uh, citizenship for themselves and their families by having a child born here, uh, on the presumption that uh, the state would not separate uh, an Irish citizen who's a child from parents. So uh, there, w- there, was, there was this sense that there was a lot of abuse going on, and uh, uh, you know people had the sense that um, if they were using tongue, tongue, or the matter or wherever. Um, in this period, that there was a disproportionate number of uh, women from particularly Africans. And uh, so, true or false, how much uh, of this uh, kind of thing was going on? And uh, it's a very, again, this is sensitive, but uh, I got hold of information from one of the um, maternity hospitals. I wrote to all of them. and. uh, one thought it was helping me, but sent me the information, it was no good, uh, the other never got back to me. And the third was very obliging and gave me the information I wanted. And that's simply what I want to show you here. Um, so uh, what I'm focusing on is uh, the lag between a woman first notifying the hospital that she's going to have a baby and the birth. And I've simply broken them down into uh, 0 to 30 days, 30 to 60, 60 to 100, 100 to 150, uh, and so on. And this is the uh, Irish pattern uh, before the referendum. So uh, I'm doing it, uh, there are enough data to do it annually, and there's a very consistent pattern. And then this is after the referendum, and something changes there, actually, uh, over the last few years, maybe this is for some bureaucratic reason, people are giving longer notes, um, and and these are British mothers, and it's identical, right? It's the same. Uh, these are Chinese mothers, and actually they're very like <coughs> both the uh, Irish and the British. Here are the Nigerians. And uh, this is, you see, what this is telling you is in this in year, these years, uh, half are giving less than 30 days notice. So they simply land, and they, then, and then they give birth very quickly afterwards. Um, and you can also see how sharply that changes uh, after the referendum. It's, 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 it's very dramatic, and uh, now. The, the Nigerian pattern is like the Irish pattern. Um, Romanians. Uh, not as many, so that were that a bit more all over the place. Uh, but again, you know, there is some sense that there is some, if you like, abuse going on here. And this is uh, very. Uh, other Africans. then days to our pre and post-referendum Ukrainians and Russians, and uh, it, there seems to be something going on there as well. Oh, are there the number of cases on... on, 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 on the percent. Case? Oh, percent, okay. Yeah. So so what, what, numbers, numbers do, what numbers do you have for oh, the Hundreds, hundreds of Nigerians, yeah. Oh, I yeah, know hundreds Hungary, Ukrainians, for example. Ah. It's dozens, I dozens, think. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. So there are two things. This is one of the things I wanted to say. It's not, you know, the numbers here are not huge anyway. Uh, but there was abuse going on. And it's probably, I mean, my line. I may disagree. Uh, in some sense, this is not a huge issue, but it's an issue that gets blown out of all proportion by people who don't like immigrants. So it's probably best to do something about it. You know, that, that would be the way I would look at it, because if you don't, people will go on, not knowing what's going on, they will say, this is the story. And there, are all ki- there was all kinds of anecdotal evidence. But it turns out the anecdotal evidence was broadly true. Uh, you know, this, this, this is what these uh, these uh, numbers you know, show you. you. Showed in Sort of the same yeah, maybe uh, not. Yeah, not quite. But there's some. Yeah, there are some still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is another issue. Why do the Nigerians? It's like why? Why have they got this kind of niche? Why? why didn't others find out about this? Why? Why did? It seems to be like this. This is a Nigerian thing more than anybody else. Uh, yeah yeah i think, I, think, I think there is and you know there's a thesis done in Trinity a few years ago on, by a Nigerian on, on this, and he says there are different Nigerian groups there are some, some who are living here looking for a refugee space. There are some very wealthy women who are come over, stay in a hotel, give birth, and go back again uh, because their husbands want access to the eu uh, but terms of relative proportions I, I don't know. But the, so it's it's, it's I multi- think also why Nigeria, I think also the Irish missionary tradition and the tradition in their events that there's actually a consciousness. Possible, Merriman, so a consciousness possible. that's so been suggested to the me, the it's possible. It yeah, it's possible. Um, but anyway, you know there is there is there is something to... Uh, <coughs> and that's why you that's why that's why you get this and it's to avoid this that I think you really need to uh, take corrective action. Sometimes, uh. no prize for guessing who this is from. Own own no, it's <laughs> not. Oh, it's somebody I'd say more respectable than. <laughs> <laughs> it's about Kevin Myers. Oh yeah. And what he is referring to, he, 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 he you can blame the CSO uh, for this. The CSO issued a profile of immigrants uh, in the wake of the 2006 uh, census. And uh, it contained this information here. So the Nigerian seems to stand out. You know, you look at the Latvians, the Poles, and the Lithuanians, the Filipinos here, they are ideal immigrants. of them are working their socks off. They're paying taxes. uh, Fantastic, you know. And then you look at the Nigerians here. Only 38% are working. 31% are unemployed. And this is what Myers wants to highlight. You know, the the U.S. and the others. These are different. And then the Chinese. A lot of the Chinese are students. So you know. Uh, So. Myers tries to uh, drum up kind of a feeling uh, on this. But when you look at the same kind of information in 2011, the Nigerians are already more like everybody else. The reason they are where they were in Italian is in part because a lot of them were uh, illegals, they were refugees, they weren't entitled to work. And there was probably some discrimination against them. Now, so they're still... Less likely to be um, <coughs> uh, at work, but look at the unemployment shares here. They're really not that different uh, to the Nigerians. That too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the top mm. goal yeah. Are young, that's true. That's true. Uh, now, let me also make the point, uh, and. and I don't have the information on this for Ireland, but I did a bit of work uh, last year on Italian migration. And um, <coughs> we compared uh, you know, census data with opinion poll data on people's perceptions. And uh, the reality is that in, in um, 2009, 7% of the population were not born in Italy. But people were asked, what proportion do you think Are not born in Italy, and the answer, the average is over 20%. This is opinion poll data. Uh, Again, people are asked about immigrants. You know, what proportion are legal? In fact, a very small proportion are illegal. But the perception is that most most people are illegal, and it's really important. I think you know, you might say that rotunda information or matter information or whatever, you should hide it because it's only going to cause trouble. I think in on the whole, the more you say things the way they are, the better. And that, that would serve... The more people realise that their perceptions are uh, exaggerated. Um, it's also true. We did a little bit of econometrics like what I showed you on the ESS uh, uh, linking uh, immigration... Our perceptions on crime, and um, that's boosted by poor education, living in the South, low skill levels, conservative politics. Um, now, um, again, this is Kevin Myers. Uh, Iron's you answer to Enoch know, Powell, really. Uh, <laughs> the bridge stands unmanned as Lars Persain is. Fairly well in his skill in Aaron's Green Isle. Uh, now, the reality, of course, is that, and that's where we started out, there's a lot of emigration with the downturn, which uh, he doesn't factor in at all. One consideration that may be relevant here is uh, Hatton and Williamson's so called 10% rule. Now, I don't think it works that well for Ireland, but their notion is that for every 1% increase in Unemployment, you get a 1% uh, increase in emigration. So they have 10% because they're comparing percents and per thousands. But, uh, and uh, so they, they have a, a paper which um, backs this up for evidence from the US and a few other places. Uh, now, I would make the point that this carries less conviction with illegals uh, and also when the difference between the wage in the receiving and the wage in the sending country is very, very high. And I think, you know, that would be true say, of the Nigerians. Um, they, and there is, there's opinion, like, again, it's, it sounds like a paradox, I suppose. Uh, at one level, there's, there's a, a study there recently um, uh, on various immigrant groups uh, done by... Uh, some uh, sociologists, a uh, few of them based here in UCD, and what they find about the Nigerians is that they feel more discriminated against than any other group, uh, more disliked, and I think with with justice. But at the same time, they are more damned that they're going to stay here than any other group. You know, a lot of the others say we're not going to stay here. The Nigerians mostly say we're going to stay here for the long haul, and I think that th- that is why you know. The, the they have nowhere else to go. Uh, if they go home, they're going to take a huge drop in living standards. Um, now, so the last thought I had here, and uh, this is, this is uh, it's no more than a thought. Um, there is this hostility towards <coughs> uh, immigrants. And I say one way of dealing with that is to uh, talk about uh, the reality rather than the perception to mention that when there's an economic downturn, people tend to leave. Uh, I think another tack might be to see immigration, particularly from poor countries, as a a form of foreign aid. Because when you look at at, uh, say UNDP information on migration, the benefits to uh, LDCs from remittances are Staggering. And, you know, they're much greater than what they get out of uh, DFI or foreign aid. So, you, you know, you look at these, are comparing remittances and foreign aid remittances and, and direct investment. Remittances are a very high proportion of GDP. So, you know, there might be something to be said for a discussion which would factor in you know, allowing in people and saying that benefits uh, where they come from, just as well as you know, sending money to corrupt governments or whoever. Um, but there, leave it at that.